And welcome to Island Ice, episode four of Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Gross of Newsday. Please find me on Twitter at agrossnewsday. Uh, You'll get your immediate New York Islanders updates uh, via Twitter at agrossnewsday. And thank you for tuning in. Again, episode four. If you want to subscribe, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, You can also find us Obviously, uh, we'd love you to go to the Newsday Sports website. We're on SoundCloud and uh, also on Google Play. So plenty of places to find Island Ice. Thank you so much for listening. Big show today, as Ed Sullivan might say. Kids, you can look that one up. A lot to get to. Um, First of all, my thanks to Shannon Hogan of MSG Networks. I got a about a half hour interview with her coming up later in the podcast. Uh, we sat down in the stands in Columbus and just went over a myriad of different subjects. So I'm, I'm excited for you guys to hear that. Uh, later in the show, have a, a little sit down with Ross Johnson about his season so far and the improvements he's made in his game. We'll, we'll, we'll knock it off with a, uh, some Q&A via Twitter, and uh, in between all that, you get to hear my melodious voice and uh, me mispronounce a few names here and there. So uh, let's dig into this. And again, thank you so much for tuning in. The Islanders come off a 2-0 road trip, win at Winnipeg, win at Columbus. They're now 5-3-0 with 10 points in their first eight games. And now, uh, you know, whereas the beginning of the season sort of felt more like your typical NHL season with, you know, game, day in between game, another game, practice, game, you know, there was a, a real rhythm to it, no, no chance to, to get stale. And now we sort of hit a little lull in the schedule here. There's uh, three games in 12 days for the Islanders, and that's, uh, by NHL standards, that's that's a break. That is not a lot. Uh, four days between uh, Saturday's 3-2 overtime win at Columbus and Thursday night's game against the Coyotes at Nassau Coliseum as the Islanders continue to play a lot of games at the Coliseum to start the season. Uh, as we've mentioned, 12 of the Islanders' first 17 games are home games And all but three of those are at Nassau Coliseum. The Islanders have yet to have a game at Barclays Center. So you got those four days between games going into Thursday night's match against the Coyotes. And then the Islanders play a three and four. They got the Coyotes. They go up to Ottawa on Friday. And then back at the Coliseum on Sunday for a Metro Division match against Elaine Vigneault's Flyers. And, you know, people, people talk about the back-to-backs and, you know, how that can grind a team down. But it's really the uh, three and fours or even worse. It's the, the four and sixes that can really take a toll on a team. But in the Islanders' case here, it's just a three and four with, you know, four-day stretches before and after. So I, I think by the time they get to the three and four, they'll be so sick of practice that they'll they'll just be thrilled to get some game action in. So uh, yeah, uh, three and three and four, but three and twelve, and it's not exactly optimal. And and probably 
you know, the schedule is what the schedule is. You hear that all the time. Players, you can't do anything about it. You just got to play what's in front of you. However, the Islanders have won four in a row, and maybe they weren't all pretty, not Picassos. Maybe none of them were really Picassos, but nonetheless, they were two points each, four straight wins, and you're getting a little bit of momentum. You're, you're, you're finding ways to win. You're grinding out wins, even without the team playing you know, at its best. And to take a break here, I'm wondering how much gets sapped. Uh, what are the Islanders going to look like that first period against the Coyotes on Thursday? And then, you know, after they play those three and four, you got another four days and then they face the Lightning, which is always a tough match, no matter how, the, how, <laughs> how, how much the Lightning have stumbled sort of out of the gate here to begin this season. You know the talent the Lightning have. So to go into the Lightning game with a, with a four-day kind of break there, that's going to be a tough first period there. Um, so, you know, if the Islanders could have scripted it, I don't think they would have done it this way. You see what's happening to the Rangers when their first two, but they only played three and 13. And now I believe they've lost four straight and they just can't find it. And, and any NHL player will tell you it's all about the routine. You know, any athlete will tell you no matter what the sport is, they just want to get into a routine. And three games in 12 days is not a routine. There's going to be way too much practice for these guys. Um, they're going to get a little crotchety and, and a little tired of practice. So that's something to monitor how they come out of this. They've been banking points, which is good. That's something they did last season. And then they started really playing well mid-December. Had that long stretch where they were just seemingly winning, you know, every game it seemed like. And, uh, you know, the Islanders game is not there yet, but they are getting those points. So uh, that's something that is going to be huge at the end of the year. Um, you know, you talk about the intensity of the season. It's like an upward upward uh, graph, obviously. And, you know, people say, ah, oh, games in October, early November, what do they matter? And you look at the St. Louis Blues last year. They were, they were awful through... Uh, the beginning of January, they win the Stanley Cup. So maybe there's a little bit of credence to that. However, banking these points just does you so many favors when the games get tougher in December and January, and certainly in March when almost every game is a playoff game. Uh, you know, however many points you can get into the bank early, that just is a huge bonus later in the season. The Islanders doing their job that way so far. In terms of injuries, uh, that's something the Islanders really didn't deal with last season uh, too much, but uh, you got some injuries early on. Casey Sezikis, uh, the invaluable fourth-line center who chipped in with 20 goals last season, he's missed five games. He's been, uh, he's been wearing a boot on his left foot. Um, there's no timetable for when he's going to get back. Barry Trotz said that it's not likely to be Thursday against the Coyotes, so that would be a sixth game out for Casey Sezikis, and I would suspect if he's out Thursday, Friday is probably tough against the Senators. So uh, you're, you're really looking at a, a long stretch here for Casey Sezikis. Um, Jordan Eberle, the top-line right wing, 
Uh, he's missed three games now, also on IR, injured reserve with a lower body issue. His right leg just seemed to buckle uh, when he was uh, checked by the Panthers' Mike Matheson. Um, late in that game, uh, the Islanders 3-2 shootout win at the Coliseum. And, and Jordan uh, has not been back in the lineup since. Now on Sunday, both of them were skating on their own. However, um, Barry Trotz again said Casey was probably a little bit closer than, than Jordan was. And if Casey's not you know, pretty doubtful for Thursday, then certainly Jordan Everly's doubtful for that. So you, again, you're, you're looking at a, a longer absence uh, for those two guys. Now, uh, one, of the, one of the issues for the Islanders through this season, and Barry Trotz emphatically said he does not see this as a pattern, but some of their first periods have not been all that great. They've given up uh, the first goal in all but three of their games so far. Uh, now, the game in Columbus, the 3-2 overtime win, that was a, a complete reversal for the Islanders because they had their best first period of the, of the season. It took a 2-1 lead, but they couldn't sustain that through the second and third periods. Uh, more often than not, the Islanders have gotten off to a slow start in the first period, and it seemed that they didn't get to their game until some point in the second period. So a little bit of a reversal there. But, uh, you know, Barry was asked about this. One of the issues is last season he had that, that identity line, as he likes to call it, of K Casey Sezikis between Matt Martin and Cal Clutterbuck on the ice almost at the start of every period. You know, start of the first period for games, and then usually, you know, if he could in the second and third periods. And that just has not been the case this season. Obviously, Casey Sezikis out. For five games, uh, Barry Trotz tried Ross Johnson on that line instead of Matt Martin. Had Matt Martin for a healthy scratch for three games before Matty got back in the lineup in Columbus. And again, uh, we'll have an interview with Ross Johnson coming up later in the show. A little bit about his development as a player since he's come up to the Islanders. And uh, you know, a little bit about uh, his life and uh, coming from Prince Edward Island. That's coming up later in the show. But getting back to that identity line, it hasn't been there for the Islanders. And perhaps that's one of the issues in terms of the Islanders not getting in on the forecheck as much as they need to early in games or really establishing, you know, their their brand of hockey on a game and maybe, you know, having to play the opposing team's game for a little bit before getting to their game. Um, but as I mentioned, the Islanders, it's not all bad. The Islanders at 5-3-0 have 10 of 16 possible points this season. Um, you know, not, not a world-beating start, but like I said, a lot of, a lot of points banked in the, uh, banked early in the season that come in handy later in the year. And, you know, anyone who has followed me on Twitter, you know, knows that math is not my special skill. Uh, it wasn't my special skill in high school, wasn't my special skill in college, and uh, it never has developed into my special skill. But I did a little uh, that ratio work, the crisscross, you insert the X, a little bit of algebra, a little bit of division. And if the Islanders have gotten 10 of 16 points, you project that over a full season of 82 games, that is 102.5 points, 102.5 points. Now, last season, the Islanders finished with 103 points, 
good for second place in the Metro. 102 and a half points, obviously. <laughs> You're talking about sort of the same season. And uh, I would like to point out that in the Newsday Hockey Preview, when they asked me for my prediction, I pegged the Islanders at 102 points. And again, second in the Metro. You take my 102 points. You take last season's 103 points. You get 102 and a half points. And that's exactly where they're, where they're heading this season. Again, <laughs> Eight games in, a lot has to happen between here and there, but uh, at least a, a decent start for the Islanders, and that, that's all you can hope for, and then they, you hope for them to really build their game. Um, one place where they've really built their game, and I, I think I could do a whole episode on this, and maybe I will in the future, because the great thing about podcasts are there really are no rules. I can take this wherever I want, and... But for now, I'm, I'm following my run sheet. I, I would like to just point out that I, I think if you had to rank it, the Islanders are probably in the top three of most dangerous teams in the three-on-three -three overtime. Um, the, the talent they can put out, especially with Matthew Barzell, who it really should be illegal for Matthew Barzell to be allowed that much space and time on a ice rink. <laughs> you know, I'm certainly probably speaking for every single opposing coach in the NHL. It, it, it's scary facing Matthew Barzell when he has just that much space to, to do as he please. And you've, you've seen the Islanders pattern emerge as they get Brock Nelson, who's turning into their best face-off, not turning into, he is their best face-off option, especially with Casey Sezikis injured. You get Brock Nelson out early, and, you know, the, 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 the plan is you win that face-off, you hem the opponents in their zone, you tire out those first three opposing skaters, you pull the puck back to the neutral zone, but not allowing the opponents to make that change. And here comes Matthew Barzell at full force. And that, you know, that, that's a good recipe for getting a quick goal in overtime. And, and it's worked that way. And, and Brock Nelson scored the winner. They didn't even get to Matthew Barzell in Columbus. But um, Brock Nelson with the overtime winner 33 seconds in for that 3-2 win in Saturday. That was their fourth straight win. So that, that, that's good stuff for the, uh, the Islanders. But some impressions, or a couple of impressions, uh, that I haven't hit on from that two-game road trip. You're talking about a 3-1 win in Winnipeg on Thursday. Um, Jets, you know, I know they're missing a bit of stuff. Dustin Bufflin still, you know, on administrative leave, figuring out his, uh, his future. The Jets have not played back to the expectations for the season. The Islanders now have a 4-1 home win and a 3-1 road win, and that's it for them playing the Jets this season. But, uh, again, it was not a great start for the Islanders out there, and they sort of built their game uh, through, through the uh, second and third period. Um, but you look at the face-offs, and that's something that Barry Trotz, from the beginning of the season, has really tried to you know, improve with the team. And it's kind of hard with Casey Sezikis, who's kind of slots as their second-best face-off guy behind Brock Nelson. And, you know, Matthew Barzell is trying to improve that part of his game, and he's worked hard on it, but he's not, you know, he's not in that category of Nelson or Sezikis yet. But they, they win 25, they lose 38, so that's only 40%. And in the NHL, obviously, you know, as in life, 
50% is kind of the mean of where you want to get on that kind of things. Now, then they go to Columbus and they 22 up and 38 down, and that was only 37%. And, you know, one of the Islanders' issues with not getting to their game early is if you're not playing with the puck, the opponent can really dictate things. And, uh, you know, so that the, the negative is the Islanders were playing from behind, you know, even with Matthew Barzell getting the game's first goal. And, and at the time he scored that at 8.25 of the first period, he'd been on the ice for seven of the Islanders' last nine goals. And it's just kind of a testament to his importance to this team at this point and, and how good he can be uh, for the Islanders. But, uh, you know, the Islanders, they have to build a 60-minute effort. It's going to catch up to them at some point if they, if they can't get there. So that's the glass half-empty view the glass half full would be that they're getting points as I've mentioned without getting that 60 minute effort and they can only build from here and at some point they're going to get you know a couple of guys back in in Jordan Eberle and Casey Sezikis and and also in Columbus uh Leo Komarov who took place uh took took part in the morning skate wound up with some kind of illness bug and he was unable to go and uh it, it turned into a really nice moment for Cole Bardreau, a 26-year-old who made his NHL debut. It was a scramble for Cole to get from Bridgeport where he participated in the Sound Tigers morning skate um and was having his post-skate meal sort of sitting there in sweatpants and you know all of a sudden he's told to find his way to Columbus and ran out of there in those sweatpants, someone threw him a blazer, loaned him a blazer so he could look, at least come up to sort of the standards that the Islanders have for uh, their travel, their travel dress code. But Colbardreau, you know, he misses his first flight out of New York, didn't get there in time, catches a flight, shows up in Columbus about 90 minutes before puck drop, and he goes in and he has his NHL debut and you know, unfortunately, it was such a scramble that none of his friends or family could make it out there. But it's really been a long road for him. And, uh, you know, he played played 854, was credited with three hits, taking Leo Komarov's spot in between Matty Martin and Cal Clutterbuck. But, you know, he was just so so excited after the game. And then I also spoke to him uh, the next day at practice, um, and he was just kind of joking about the difference between flying out there commercial and then going home on the charter. So instead of like, you know, a, a cookie or peanuts or Cheez-Its, which, you know, a cookie and Cheez-Its was my breakfast flying home from Columbus Sunday morning. You know, he's talking about sushi and steak on the team charter. So, you know, it, it's good for him. And, and the reason I, I, I want to bring him up is, you know, Cole, very pleasant guy to talk to, really had a hard time getting to the NHL, spent the last five years in the Flyers system. And, you know, every time he seemed on the cusp of being called up there, he, he was dealing with injuries. But his most ser serious injury came as a sophomore at Cornell, and he played four years for the Big Red. But as a sophomore at RPI, he... He wound up with two broken vertebrae in his neck in a game. Um, he managed to finish the game because he didn't realize the severity of the uh, of the injury. And two days later, 
you know, reading the accounts, he was still complaining of a sore neck. They do an x-ray and right into the hospital. And, and he was faced with the possibility of, uh, you know, possible paralysis um, with the two ver broken vertebrae. So for Cole to make his uh, NHL debut, great for him. Very happy for him. Seems like a, a really nice guy. Hopefully he gets another one here. I'm assuming Leo Komarov will be healthy by Thursday's game and, you know, Leo will go back in. But hopefully at some point, Cole Bardreau gets a, a game in the NHL with his family, parents, friends, you know, to share the moment with him. Um, now I'd like to take you back to Columbus, uh, sitting in the stands with Shannon Hogan of MSG Networks. Um, Shannon was so very gracious with her time, uh, I believe, uh, we spent almost a half hour just chatting about a, a myriad of different subjects. Um, Shannon's as good as it gets in the business. Uh, does a great job on the broadcasts and uh, just a, a really fun person to talk to. And, and I, I hope you enjoy this. And I am very, 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 very happy to be joined right now by uh, Shannon Hogan from MSG Networks, who uh, I don't know if I've ever said this. When I, when I first got on the beat... You were so friendly to me. You made me feel welcome right away, and it really did mean a lot to me. Well, thank you. It's also very strange to be interviewed. I'm, I'm used to being the one asking the questions, so when you said, will you do the podcast, I was like, sure. <laughs> yeah, no, this is uh, very much a role reversal uh, in terms of you've, you've had me on the, uh, on the set a couple of times, and I'm always like, oh, man, how am I going to screw this up for everyone? You do but... great. You do great every time. It's just talking hockey. It's not hard. Yeah, no, that's my daughter tells me that just this is just talking to someone on their couch at home, so I'm trying to do that. But, uh, again, thank you so much for joining me. And, uh, you, know, we're, we're, you know, we're about three, four weeks into the season here. I, you kind of lose track of time pretty quickly but do you have some quick observations on what you've seen so far from these guys well you know I think just in, in talking with Barry Trotz obviously the team is finding a way to win some games I think it's a little bit of a slower start than most of us were anticipating especially with how strong they were able to um, you know play in that first round of the playoffs and not a whole lot of turnover for the team in the offseason. I think there were pretty high expectations going in. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing for a team to have those kinds of expectations. Um, and then I think you have to look at the injuries early on. I mean, when you're a healthy team and everybody's where they're supposed to be, things tend to go a little, you know, more smoothly, I guess. Um, and I think having Casey Zizekas out of the lineup is a bigger deal than maybe people want to let on. Yeah, he's not the guy that's going to, you know, score 40 goals for you, but he's part of that big identity line that the Islanders have on the fourth line, and I, I think they've missed him. That being said, when Matt Barzell scores, it's really fun to watch, and I think that um, Varlamov is, is settling in a little bit. I think those first couple of games, people might have been a little concerned, but I think he, he's kind of settling in, and, and Thomas Grice appears to have picked up where he left off. Uh, you, you talk about injuries and, and, and Barzell, uh, Jordan Eberle being out too, yeah. and, and I'm not saying I'm not trying to diminish Jordan Eberle being out because you want a guy who can score like that, but Barzy seems to you know that he's not missing a beat without Jordan. 
No, I, I think also it's a shift in, in Matt Barzell that the coaching staff and he has been working on for more than a year now under Barry Trotz of um, that shoot more mentality, of the finding the right time to shoot, becoming more dangerous. Barry Trotz has talked about that as, you know, he has that raw talent and it's just rounding out those edges of his game that can make him, you know, more effective for the team. And, and when he's scoring and he's confident, that radiates. I mean, it radiates from him. It's visible on the ice. It's visible in the dressing room. And I think that the team can kind of build off of that. But I do think that he plays great with, with uh, Jordan Eberle. And I do think that the combination of Matt Barzell getting more and more comfortable with his game and having Jordan Eberle, the Jordan Eberle that we saw last spring, will make this team very, very dynamic. And it's just a matter of time. I mean, Jordan Eberle, they're you know, saying day-to-day he could be coming back at any time now. So I, I do think that having him in the lineup helps the Islanders. But I think it's just one aspect of, of Matt Barzell. And for many years, Islanders fans watched with John Tavares. I mean, who was going to play with him? Who was, how, how are they going to help facilitate? Yeah, he scored goals. Yeah, he was an unbelievable player. But when you add the complementary pieces to that, it still makes a big difference. I mean, you could be talking about a, you know, a guy or, you know, scoring 30 goals to going to 40 or the team, you know, picking up a couple extra wins. So I think having Jordan Eberle in that, in that spot when he's at his best is a huge plus for the Islanders and a plus for Matt Barzell. Quick impressions on Oliver Wallstrom. He's come up and he, you know, even talking to him in Bridgeport before he came up, he does not seem afraid of any situation. No, and it actually seems very mature. You know, when, when Dobson came up, I remember thinking to myself, man, that kid looks like he's 12. <laughs> and maybe it's because I'm getting older. But but when it when it comes to um, Wallstrom, I loved, in the, just my brief couple of conversations with him, how pretty secure in his self he is and and I think that that's really hard when you're coming into the league and the expectations are as high as they were I mean he had such a good camp there were people that wanted to see him on the team from the get-go and maybe he wasn't expecting to get the opportunity he did as early um in his AHL you know run this season as he did but I agree with Barry Trotz and and his teammates I don't think he's looked out of place I like the energy he's brought with his physicality to the game. And and I think for the Islanders, when you think about their physical presence, a lot of times you just think about a Matt Martin or a Ross Johnston or a Tom Kunakle. But you need to see some of those young top six guys jumping up and being more physical, just like we were looking for um, Brock Nelson last year to kind of step up his physical game, which I think he did. So that's been fun. and, you know, it's just the beginning. So I'm looking forward to, to really seeing how he will continue to contribute to the team and, and what will happen when the injuries do settle and what the Islanders will do with him. You know, I, I, you're talking about his maturity and we're, you know, we're in the locker room. You're, yeah, you're, you're talking to Matthew Barzell about his power play goal, making some jokes about Alex Ovechkin and, and, and how the shot looked like Alex Ovechkin. And a couple of guys were chirping at you and at – and Oliver was right in the middle. He, he, his boy, you know, I know Bo got in a couple, Beauvillier got in a couple, but like Oliver was not out of place in that room. He feels like one of the boys. Yeah. And I think that this is a group that allows you to do that. I think some other rooms you don't. To be clear, I did not think that Matt Barzell looked like Alex Ovechkin. I was talking about where he was shooting from the circle and any power play um, that you watch for the Capitals, especially when Barry Trotz were there, was there, it was so frustrating when they would score on the Islanders 
and the fans at home probably felt the same way because you knew exactly what they were going to do. You knew exactly where he was going to shoot from, and he, you know, yeah. he put, put it home every time. And so that was more of the, you know, you don't see Matt Barzell making that shot very often. He joked that obviously his yeah. shot is not as strong as Ov, but I think that that dynamic in the in the dressing room is so important. And the quicker you can get a guy, whether it's um, you know a Derek Brassard that's coming over, at, you know, in the summer, or a Varlamov who signed a deal, the quicker you can get the newer guys into the culture of your team and feeling like they can chirp and they can say those things, the better. There is a fine line with yeah. the young guys because yeah. I, in some rooms they'll say, "Hey, you're you know you're a young guy. You shouldn't be saying yeah. this or that." I don't get that feeling for the Islanders. Yeah. I think it's kind of it's you're on the team, you're in equal footing, and I think that that's what has made them so close. And we even heard about it in in the off season with uh, Brock Nelson and Jordan Eberle saying they wanted to stay, and a big part of that was the room mm-hmm. that they have. We're in there, you know, after every game and for, for all the skates, and you can see it. They're, it's not a tense room. Those guys genuinely like each other, and, and you can, that I think that translates to the ice. Yeah, I, I mean, we were in Winnipeg, and you asked uh, Semyon about, you know, having a good game, feeling comfortable, and he kind of laughed. He said, I, I already feel comfortable. Right, and and to me, that would seem like something that would be kind of more tangible. You pick up a win, you're able to help them in a tough spot, and it kind of bonds you together. But I think it's a great sign that he didn't feel like he had to prove himself to the guys on the ice. They were accepting him for his body of work that he had in in Colorado and really just what he was going to bring to the team. If you work hard, you can earn the respect of of your teammates. We're on the goalies. You talked about Varlamov. Notice the pronunciation Varlamov, right? Well, you're you're always a professional. You're always the expert on pronunciation. Oh Andrew. my! God. Come yeah. on! Yeah, that's why I'm a writer. <laughs> no, Varlamov. Oh, I asked him. Semyon, I never. I you know I've been saying Semyon and and uh, whether it's Semyon, Semyon, like Semyon is what we're going with, and that's what he you know most broadcasters said for many years around the league. And when I asked him for uh, the pronunciation when he came in for camp, he said it, and I repeated it. And he smiled, and then he said it again, and I repeated it, and he smiled, and then I said one more time, and he smiled, and he said, close enough. So that's what we're going with. Right. So, so, I mean, he's he had a really good game in Winnipeg. I, I thought that was his best game. Totally. And, and I was talking to Cal Clutterbuck after the game and uh, talking about building confidence in a goalie. And one thing Cal mentioned, so uh, Semyon gives up a shot over his glove on the power play to Ehlers, right? Um Ehlers. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and 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 Cal said, and I can't screw up Cal. That's an easy one, easy right? One. Best name in hockey. <laughs> right, and I can even call him Clutter and be pretty sure I'm not getting yep. that right. Nope, you're good. <laughs> so so Cal was saying, you know, he gives up that shot over his glove, and that what really built trust in Varlamov was the fact that the Jets tried to go back to that, you know, from the same spot, tried to keep going back over his glove. A couple times. Yeah, and and he never gave it up again. And and Cal said, you you can't imagine how much trust you have when you see a goalie build like that in the middle of a game. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously when you make those, he can make those quick adjustments. And and the other thing, too, is we're looking at all the replays. So when you see a shot like that, you're going, Oh man, he should have had that. But it's so, everything happens so fast and you don't know, just a split second of being screened or someone in front of you. It can, it can change things um, dramatically for 
a goaltender. But I think the other thing that, you know, I know we've spoke about on our broadcast a couple times is yes, he's a veteran, but when you come in and you start working with new goalie coaches, they're trying to make you the best goaltender that you can be. And so I'm sure there are adjustments that they've asked him to focus on or make already this season, whether coming into camp or, or whatnot to try to get the best out of him. And that's a lot. I don't know if it's easier. It's probably a good question for him. I don't know if it's easier to make those adjustments younger when you're a, you know, a younger goalie and you're maybe a little more impressionable, or if you've been doing something for as long as you have for as many years in the league. But there are things that I know that he's worked on with, um, with the, you know, Piero Greco and Mitch Korn that I'm sure that he's trying to be the best goaltender he can be. And you have to also have to factor in that, you know, you have a new coaching staff that you're dealing with. It doesn't matter that you've been playing for however many years in the league. It's still an adjustment and that's going to take some time to work out. But I, I think he looked very good in Winnipeg, very confident. The smile was good to see in the dressing room after. You brought, you brought up the, the broadcast team and obviously since I'm at pretty much every game, I don't, don't get to, us. yeah, no, I don't get to sit at home, but I have, you know, I have missed a couple of games. I have watched and I have to say it's a, it's an incredible broadcast start to finish. And I think you play a, a huge role, obviously, as the host in this, just it, it looks like you guys are having so much fun. Is that, you know, what do you think of working with this crew? Well, you have to tell us we're great because no, we're well, sitting here no. on your podcast. Well, no, no. <laughs> um, I feel so lucky yeah. and because um, we do have fun. Yeah. It, it, it's great. I mean, you know, Butch and Brendan do a wonderful job. They have a, a great rapport. Um, the it's also it's not just what the, the the people at home are watching on on TV. You might see Butch, Brendan, AJ, you know Jennifer last year, and she's going to be coming back in in December as well. You see all of us, but it's a it's a whole group effort, and we're really like a family. I mean, you get to know you know our whole crew because we're all traveling together. You know, we have um, our director Joel and our producer Jim, and we have Charlie doing all the video and the tape stuff, and and Sarah is maybe one of the best graphics coordinators I've seen in the NHL. She really knows her stuff. So for all of us, it's a group effort, but we like each other. Yeah. So it's fun. We, you know, after a game, after, you know, after the Winnipeg game, you know, we go sit at the hotel lobby and we have a glass of wine and, and we, you know, talk about Matt Barzell and Kylie Jenner. And it's, it's great. <laughs> you know, like we, we enjoy being together and, and we work hard and it's a long season. So you have to kind of combine those two things as the Zamboni comes on. Well, it's always, it's always great timing here. Well, you know, it's hockey, right? Yeah. Yeah. How, you know, Barry and Lou always talk about everyone has their role within the team. How do you, like, what do you see your role? How do you feel like you push the broadcast through three periods, pregame, through the postgame? Um, I've always looked at my role as trying to bridge the gap between the team and the fans at home because I realize how lucky I am to have the access to talk to the coaches and the players and be there regularly. So on a pregame broadcast, I'm trying to get get everybody caught up and ready for the game. Um, obviously, injuries, news of the day, but also bring some fun to it yeah. because at the end of the day, most people don't are busy you know they're coming in from work they're getting the kids ready they're having you know dinner they're doing this and that so they might not be sitting down watching every moment other than my mother everybody's not (laughs) sitting down watching you know from start to finish so we want you to feel like you can jump in hear what the team is doing know what to expect from the opposition if there's you know some good stories around the league we want to share that and ultimately 
Hockey should be a fun escape. Whatever, as I've said this for years, whatever's going on in your life, if you had a great day at work, if you had a bad day at work, we want you to be able to tune in and feel a part of the hockey family and, and feel connected to something that's positive that's going on. And so I hope that when people turn on the TV, they feel like they're a part of it and they feel like I'm sitting in their living room having a cup of coffee or you know having a beer and talking about the game that we all love um, that's kind of how I feel for the for the pregame show when I work with an analyst it's a little bit of a different role I love working with an analyst AJ and Jennifer have been wonderful I've worked with other great anal- analysts in my career and I kind of look at that as they're the expert they played the game mm-hmm. um, so I might be around the team I might be interviewing players but my job is to tee them up and let them go and, and, and put them in the best situation they can to share the knowledge that they know better than most people do at home because they can bring kind of that, that untangible, they've played the game, they've been there, or AJ's been, or you know Jennifer, they've been down between the benches. That's a different perspective than I have for a game. So I just try to tee them up and let them run. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, for you, what, what came first? Was it the love of talking or was it the love of hockey and, 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 and how, how'd you meld that <laughs> i've been talking my whole life <laughs> oh gosh yeah you can ask my parents i've been just talk 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 i my mom tells the story when we were um when i was little we lived up in syracuse new york and my mom's family lived in new jersey and so if my dad went on a, a road trip or something for work she'd put my brother and I in the car and she would drive I think it was five or six hours to Jersey and she said but halfway through she'd say okay let's play the quiet game because I would just talk non-stop like mommy do you see this blah, 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 blah. And, and now I have my own daughter and I somehow feel like it's all going to come full circle um for me actually I didn't grow up in a hockey family at all um my my we're you know as we're taping this right now we're in Columbus where the Ohio State University is proudly and my mom's an Ohio State alum so we grew up watching college football that was the first thing you know sat on Saturdays watched college football came here for games um and then I would say baseball was was the next love Uh, I can remember we lived in Connecticut I remember going to a Red Sox game Red Sox Orioles I think I was eight or nine years old we sat on the first base side I mean I can vividly remember the feeling of watching a sporting event um and it really was not until we moved to Michigan when I was a sophomore in high school and that was 99 2000 Red Wings you know were right in the thick of things and my dad's um company had season tickets and I remember leaving the first game at Joe Louis Arena and saying, that was the best live sporting event I've ever seen in my, in my life. Yeah. And for new hockey fans, if you're watching on TV, it's great. But if you come to a game, it's a totally different animal. So I think that was really when I kind of um, fell in love with the sport. And then, you know, as a, when you're in this industry as a journalist or a broadcaster, it's a, it's a zigzagging path. And when I ended up back in Michigan, um, I started with college hockey. Um, so the fans at home might not know, and they like to rib me about forgetting Anders Lee's name. I didn't forget it, okay? It was a little hiccup there. I've actually known Anders for close to 10 years because he was playing at Notre Dame when I was co- covering college hockey. Um, so I started with college hockey, and then the Red Wings kind of tacked on and then ended up ended up here in New York, and now I'm going into season six. But this is my 10th year in the league. I, like, thought about that this summer, and I'm like, that's crazy. <laughs> and and once you cover hockey, it's hard to it's hard to step away. I still love baseball. I covered the Pistons for a couple seasons, but it's hard. It, hockey just sucks you right in. Yeah, and no, I'm happy it did. 
Yeah, I did. I did the Rangers for a couple of seasons, and then they I got switched to the New York Jets, and I did two seasons. Painful. My husband knows your pain. He's a huge Jets fan. Oh no. Well, I I mean, I did two years in the NFL, and I, I I just. I couldn't wait to get back to hockey. I mean, it's just, I love the culture, just like you do. You, you mentioned your daughter, six months old. Congratulations. It's fantastic. When, when I first started covering the NHL, uh, my, my, my girls were six and two. And I know how difficult it is to balance traveling and, and having small one or ones at home. Just this, this is really your first season doing it. How, how has it been so far? I think I'm just in survival mode at this point, Andrew. I, you know, I always, in my heart of hearts, knew that I this was this is a part of who I am. Um, Yes, I'm a a wife and a and a daughter and a a mother, but I'm also a a broadcaster, and that's part of my identity as well. And I wanted to keep as as much of that as I could um, to for my own sanity and also to to be a good role model to my daughter. Um, I don't think I can answer it fully. I think you might have to ask me maybe at the end of the year and maybe even in 10 years. And, and I'm not the first woman to do it. There mm-hmm. are obviously you, you know, you traveled with, with kids. Um, I miss her. Yeah. I always want to be with her. You know, I always, I always want to be around her, but uh, you know, we have a lot of help and, and my, my husband's home with her now. And I, you know, we were FaceTiming earlier. I was joking about how, you know, the outfits might be a little different yeah. than what I picked, but, but Hey, it's, it's bonding time with dad. You're looking yeah. at the bunnies in the yard. You're going to go take a yeah. passport picture. And I think it's important for him to have that time oh, sure. as well, because I've been very blessed with how the schedule worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the baby right after game four, of the first round, and I was home with her all summer. And yeah. I, and I, that is not lost on me. There are a lot of women who do not have the luxury and they have to go back to work right away. Yeah. And I have been very, very, you know, fortunate that my schedule worked out, that I was able to spend the time at home. And I think whether you have to go back to work as a, uh, a mom or a dad after one day or after one year, it's always going to be a little, a little hard. But I do feel very lucky that, um, that I had the time I did this summer with her and we'll continue to have fun. I also have an, you know, a non-traditional job, you know, yeah. I can see her in the mornings. I'm yeah. not going, I'm not leaving at 6am and coming back at, at eight. And there are also a lot of women that have very wonderful careers and yeah. you're in finance. You don't have the luxury of yeah. having lunch with your, with your kid all the time. So yeah. I feel pretty fortunate, but I miss her. <laughs> She's so cute. I feel, I feel awful being like, Oh, my kid's so cute. But like, I just, her smile makes me just yeah. smile. Yeah. No, it's yeah. That's that's being Thanks. being a parent. Yeah, right? yeah, I know, and we and we talk a lot about it. I think people just, you know, they they see what we do on the broadcast, or they read your articles, and it's almost like obviously we're not the players. Yeah. You know, we're we're not at that level where we feel that out of touch yeah. necessarily from from a fan. I think fans sometimes put players on a on a pedestal, but they're humans too. Like Brock Nelson's wife had another baby. They've got two ki- young young kids. Yeah. Carly, I see her at the games and I'm like, you're a saint. And for Brock too, I'm sure it's hard for them to be away from the kids. You know, a lot of these guys are our parents, but for us, that's part of what we do. We stand around the hallway, we wait to talk to Barry and we, you know, look at videos of our kids or we talk (laughs) about what they're doing and it's all part of the fun. Did you have a broadcasting idol growing up? Someone that you really looked to and said, wow, that, that person is just knocking it out of the park. Do you want to guess who my who my person is? 
You probably can't. Well, is it a New York broadcaster? It's a national broadcaster, but I think you also have to keep in mind, um, as a as a young woman, how much the broadcast landscape has changed, mm-hmm. even in the last twenty years. Yeah. Um, and so the first. I, when I was little and still in that talking phase in which my mom said, you know, quiet time, um, Katie Couric. Right. I remember what my mom watched the Today Show every morning and I remember watching mm-hmm. Katie Couric and just I loved how she was both personable and you felt like you knew her, but credible and could talk, you know, she could talk about uh, you know, a, a president or a war, but she could also, you know, joke and do fun mm-hmm. stuff, you know, in the morning as well. And I think that that was kind of I always liked how how she was there weren't a lot of no. female broadcasters that you really had a chance to watch on a regular basis and then when when women were kind of getting more opportunities it was a sideline situation right right yeah so well I, when i was raising uh, i mean i'm still raising my daughters but when they were small and i i would try and get them to listen to susan waldman oh, susan's amazing and because because she was she was an analyst. She was, yes. you know, she's doing 162 games. Yes. I, 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 I have a t- Susan story. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so when I got this job with MSG, I was covering the, the Detroit Tigers. And so I knew Susan from um, from covering the Tigers for four years, you know, and obviously the playoffs and this and that. And I remember, I remember getting off the phone with my agent. I was standing on the third base side getting ready, you know, to, to do something. And he called and he you know, do you want the job? And I was like, Yes. And I remember going into the visiting clubhouse and we were standing around waiting to do interviews and Susan was there and I, I had mentioned that I was taking the job in, in New York and I remember her and I had a very long conversation about Howie Rose yeah. and, and Howie's daughters. And it was just so nice. I, I, at the time, I don't even think I realized like she's such a big deal and she and yet nev- she never made you feel like she was a a big deal. Yeah. It was like she was just sitting there, you know, chit-chatting with you and, and you know, giving you advice. And uh, New York is a tough market. And for her to have the longevity that she has, and she's got many, many critics, and she just keeps doing her thing. So a lot of respect for her, even though I'm not a Yankees fan, a lot of respect <laughs> for her. Um, but I always think back on that and there were other women that were very welcoming to me and so I really try to make an effort to do the same not just to women but to everybody because uh when you when you start traveling on the road and you start getting places it it is a lot to balance and um it can be intimidating it's it's a great honor to get to cover any team but um I will I'm grateful for Susan for just that little just saying that she probably doesn't even remember you know so but it was it was cool well I'm very grateful being the dad of two daughters I mean you're doing this and you have AJ and you have Jen and you know Susan's doing this and and it it just you know Jen Mendoza on on ESPN it's it's something where you don't go you're not even thinking oh a woman's doing a broadcast anymore it's just it's a broadcaster now i think you're not thinking that i think for some people yeah. they still they still do i mean i i'm not blind i still yeah. get tweets they they still don't understand mm-hmm. sometimes you know but i think the bottom line is it shouldn't be about and i'm hoping that by the time the little girls that come to the game that want to stop by at the set and and say hi and take pictures and they you yeah. know want to talk about hockey i'm hoping by the time that they have the opportunity to choose if they want to be a journalist or a reporter or a host that it will no longer be a well she's a pretty good female broadcaster right it'll right. just be she's a good broadcaster and i actually had a a young woman come up to me um 
um, at one of the last home games and said, you're the only female broadcaster that I like to listen to. And I, I straight up said, instead of saying thank you, I was like, why? Yeah. Why? And she said, I don't know. I, some of them I just don't believe. And I said, why, if a woman comes on TV or on the radio, do, you ha- do I have to earn your trust? Why don't you just automatically trust what we're saying just like you would a man? Mm-hmm. And that's something that, you know, Jim Leland would always say is if you're a, a minor league type manager, if you come up and you haven't played in the bigs for so long, you have to earn that trust. If you come in and, you know, it, you know you're A-Rod and you decide to be a, a manager, you automatically have that trust. But if you know the game, you know the game. Yeah. So I, I, I hope by the time the next generation comes up that it won't be a conversation of man or woman. It'll be if you do your job well, that's enough. Yeah, no, because you've earned the job. Someone hired you. you you've earned the job. And, and to bring it full circle, you talk about not playing in the NHL or in the pros. John Tortorella, the Blue Jackets exactly. coach, never played, uh, never even got to the AHL and I think he's got a ton of respect from the players around the league so he's also fun to interview (laughs) oh my god we always have a good time when we're here in Columbus because you never quite know what he's going to say and I know the fans at home are thinking the same thing as a reporter I love that and I I just mentioned Jim Leland he was like that too I want to see passion I want to see a you know a, a coach share their perspective. I think Barry Trotz does a good job at that. I actually think it's been I've been very lucky here in um, with with the Islanders because Doug Waite was like that too. He was very passionate. He would tell you what he thought. Mm-hmm. He would tell the players what he thought. Jack Capuano I, I felt was was similar in that and and I think that fans resonate with that. They want to know that you're invested too and you're not just going to give a canned answer and, and you'll never get that from Torts. No, 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 Torts. Well, you I might did. get yelled at, but you'll never get that. <laughs> I, I had four and a half years covering him with the Rangers and, and every day was... Uh, it was an adventure, but in a good way. Yeah, when you, when you got on the beat last year, I saw him look at you in the press room and go, oh, no, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, well, listen, Shannon, I could talk all day with you, but I know we, we have other stuff to do today. So I, a show I, to do. Yeah, right. There's always the next show. I, I really want to thank you for all your time and, and for everything and uh, all the best. Thanks so much. And thanks again to Shannon Hogan of MSG Networks for uh, – sitting down with me, really enjoyed that chat. Uh, so much more I could have asked Shannon. Um, you know, one question came to mind was I was, <laughs> could have asked her what it was like working with Butch Goring and, uh, and that crew for, you know, some impressions of them. But uh, anyway, uh, I, I think I took up enough of her time. One other interview I did get to this week was uh, I spoke with Ross Johnson. Um, big burly, 6'5", 235 pounds, uh, left wing, um, spotted in for three games for Matt Martin on that fourth line. Um, you know, I, I had a question in the Q&A uh, at some point, I forget which episode, uh, asking me whether the, I, I thought the Islanders were grooming Ross Johnson to be Matt Martin's replacement. Matty Martin, obviously, uh, you know, coming up on a contract year here. Um and, you know, the more I thought about it, uh, the more I, I think that was kind of a, uh, uh, the way it could go. I, I'm not saying the Islanders are not going to bring back Matt Martin, but in, in case he does not come back, I think the Islanders are f- very comfortable with where Ross Johnson is with his hockey development. And they could see him as, a, as more of a fixture on that fourth line. And to be honest... Barry Trotz talked about, and he was mentioning both 
Matt Martin and Ross Johnson. He thinks both have a little bit more in their game, and he could spot both of them, you know, throughout the lineup, not just tethered to that fourth line. Um, you know, Ross Johnson has worked very hard on his skating and, and to really be more than a guy who just comes in and has to play, you know, uh, 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 just that physical game. Now, Ross, as you'll hear, you know, he knows the physical game is his bread and butter and, you know, what he has to play. But there, there's also, he thinks there's a little bit more, you know, of a ceiling for maybe some scoring or, uh, you know, he does have soft hands around the net for a really big guy and he, and he moves pretty well at that size too and he's worked really hard on his skating as I've said. So, uh, you know, let's let's get to it. And uh, here's Ross Johnson just talking about his career, where it's taken him so far, and where he's come from. And we're back with Ross Johnson. Ross, you've, you've gotten a few games in the lineup right now. And just tell me how comfortable you're feeling and, you know, how you're trying to build your game right now. Yeah, I think with each game, um, you get more and more comfortable. Um, the first period of the first game, I mean, took a little bit of time to, uh, to adjust the speed and um, all that, but um, like I said, I feel more and more comfortable each period in each game, so I'm just kind of kind of build off that and um, keep on uh, using my size and physical and keep on getting down to the forecheck. Cal Clover Buck, I was just talking to him, he says, obviously, you're, you're a very big body, but there's there's more skill, there's more talent there than maybe, you know, people would, would see on first glance. I mean, yeah, maybe it's tough for you to say that, but is that sort of how you feel, like there there is some hidden parts to your game that people don't see all the time? Yeah, for sure. I think physicality comes first, and that's my main role, but um, when having the opportunity um, to control the puck below the hash marks, for instance, um, I feel pretty comfortable down there, and it's something that uh, didn't happen overnight, but um, I think it only comes with time and um, getting comfortable. But um, yeah, I feel like I can um, contribute um, offensively as well. But um, being a physical presence is the first and foremost, not the other stuff all in line. You've you've been through this, you know, out of the lineup, waiting for your chance, and, and then getting in, you know, last season, season before that. How how difficult is it to, to have that patience, and then also? to not try and do too much as soon as you do get into the lineup? Um, like you said, I think it's all about patience, um, trusting what you're working on, and when you're watching the game, um, picking up things that you think you can um, put into your own game. But um, when you're put in, and I try and keep it simple, and we are just talking about skill, but I just try to be physical and get my legs back into it um, when, there is, when there is those lull between games. But um, just... I mean, taking advantage of the opportunity when you do get put back in and um, making it tough for the coaches to take you out is my main goal. And um, I'm just going to take it game by game and try my best and um, just do it again. Do big guys have dreams of being like Wayne Gretzky at times? or? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think every kid has dreams or dreams of being Wayne Gretzky at some time. Um, some realize pretty early it's not realistic, and that was probably me. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's quite the accomplishment to just compare yourself to Wayne Gretzky. But I'm not even close to that category, so I'm just going to keep playing my game and not try to make that comparison. What is there one thing that gives you you know more satisfaction on the ice? Is it you know making a good play defensively? Is it you know getting in on the forecheck, making that check? You know defending your teammates, getting to score a goal. 
I think that uh, getting the puck back in the forecheck, you win, you can um, be physical and um, retrieve the puck at the same time. So it's kind of more of a smart physical, but um, I think it's pretty rewarding when you go in, you make a hit, you retrieve the puck, and you get an offensive opportunity. I think that's something that you strive for each time. Um, doesn't always happen that way, but um, yeah, I think that's rewarding or building momentum in the next line goes out and then scores a goal right after you. So just little things like that kind of um, pave the way and um, kind of something I try to focus on. How do you compare yourself right now as a player to when you kind of first got your first taste in the NHL? How much development? I, I know how hard you've worked, you know, skating and, uh, and those kind of skills. How, how further advanced do you feel right now? Um, I think individually, like just looking at my own game, I feel like it's kind of day and night. But yeah. um, that's something maybe organizationally they could tell you a little bit better <laughs> at. But um, I feel just more comfortable um, just the footwork and being able to move my feet and get into play and make hits and um, you think when you first start you're going to be able to do that but it comes with time, it comes with reps and um, I feel like um, I've made strides um, in that way and um, there's still more strides to be had but um, I'm happy with the progress I've made and looking forward to what's to come too. How many off seasons has it been now working with the skating coach and really trying to improve that part of your game? Um, since pro, it's each summer. Yeah. Um, skating, um, I think you look at the league, I think each year it doesn't really plateau. It seems it gets faster and faster each year, so um, you kind of have to adapt with that and um, work on it and continue to work on it. So it's something that unfortunately you'll never you'll never be able to not work on, but uh, I look forward to it. And like I said, each time you feel like you can get an extra step and you're able to transit that into a game and you feel like you have more pop it's pretty rewarding so um, that's kind of where I'm at now and like I said something to continue to work on but I'm happy with how it's come and how it's developed so far and we, we've talked about this you obviously are from Prince Edward Island are you used to New York now or do you still kind of miss the the old homestead um I don't think you I don't think I'll ever not miss home um home's home and home's home for a reason I mean I grew up there it's a different lifestyle than New York growing up on a farm and um, I'm kind of putting some roots down in PEI and building a home there in our family land. So um, I miss home, but New York's my second home, and it's really grown on me. And um, take some time getting used to to kind of, I guess, travel around the city and Long Island and know all your little towns in Long Island. But um, I like it there. The people are great. The fans are awesome. So um, home is home, but it's, it's okay to have a second Long Island home as well. Hey, Ross, I really appreciate the time. Thanks for having me, Andrew. And thanks again to Ross Johnson for taking some time with that. I think it's interesting stuff. I've had a lot of chats with Ross about PEI and kind of the differences in in lifestyle there. Uh, Before we uh, wrap up episode four with a few questions from Twitter, just wanted to clarify something that uh, Neil Best and I went over in episode three when we were talking about the new Belmont Arena and we were talking about whether 19,000 seats uh, might be a bit too much for the Islanders. Um, our Newsday teammate, Jim Bombach, uh, pointed out to me that uh, capacity for hockey will be 17,113. The 19,000 would be for concerts. So uh, on behalf of Neil, I apologize for any misinformation there. Capacity for hockey, 17,113 which I think is certainly more in line with uh, what the Islanders and the NHL are looking for in terms of capacity. Uh, you know, 17,000 might still be a little bit of a stretch uh, on a game-in, game-out basis for the Islanders based on, uh, you know, what they've drawn at the Coliseum and uh, Barclays, albeit two smaller rinks. Um, 
but we'll see. You know, it's a brand new, it's going to be a beautiful brand new arena, and that should attract some fannies in the seats as well. And uh, as we have, I'd like to uh, conclude with a few Q&As. I'm going to try and go through this quickly. I know this uh, show might be running a little long, and even if you're stuck in traffic, I'm assuming everyone is almost to where they want to be. So let me just go through this real quickly as I can. Brandon Gaines asks, when Sezikis, Eberly, and Komarov are all 100%, who do you think ultimately gets waived, sent down? Um, well, if Komarov is ready for Thursday, I think Cole Bardreau goes back to to Bridgeport. You start there, and then with Sezikis, Eberly, um, you bring up waivers. I'm glad you did, because in speaking to Barry Trotz about this subject, um, and in reference to Andrew Ladd's ultimate return to the lineup, and, and that, of course, being a little bit far, farther away, maybe around Thanksgiving time, if not maybe a little so before that, but he's back uh, cleared for contact, so he's at least practicing with the team. Barry said, did mention waivers, as, as in, you know, it's not just going to be the easy you know, send down to Bridgeport. There there could be players with some significant NHL time who might be in danger of losing a roster spot. Now, the obvious, uh, you know, candidates there, the guys, you know, who kind of get fitted in, you, you're talking about, a, a you know, Ross Johnson and or Matty Martin maybe being on the cusp, although I think Matt Martin is probably not going to happen there. Um you know, Tommy Kuhnhackel doesn't have a set spot, uh, perhaps, when, when Eberle's back. And uh, Michael Dalcal would probably be the other guy I put in that grouping. And the, those are guys that re- would require waivers. Now, you notice I have not mentioned Ol- Oliver Wallstrom. He's the guy that would not require waivers to be sent down to Bridgeport at this time. Um, you know, through, through was it, uh, uh, three games here. You know, he hasn't scored a goal yet, but he's come oh so close a few times. His wrist shot, <laughs> his wrist shot sounds as hard as a, a slap shot at times, uh, you know, when he dents the post and stuff. Um, I, I just think what he brings to this team, his, that element of, uh, of good skating in his size and, and that kind of shot, because when he starts scoring, I think it's going to come in bunches. I, I, I think the Islanders have a hard time returning him to Bridgeport, but that's just me. Um, Oliver Wallstrom's Stan account asks, any rumblings of a deal between Islanders and Jets seems to be a perfect fit as we have extra defensemen, and that is what they need if Bufflin retires. The rumblings I heard when I was out in Winnipeg is that there might be a resolution to the Dustin Bufflin situation, and it may resolve in Bufflin returning to the Jets, which would lessen their need for a defenseman. As far as rumblings of a deal between the two teams, I have not been rumbled that way. Um, J3551F3 lowercase r7, which certainly seems like a password, says, will the team allow Dobson to go to the World Junior Championships if he keeps sitting? That's a really good question. Um, My initial response would be, Lou Lamarillo would probably want Noah Dobson to remain under Islanders' control, but I also know that there's a great value, in it, and specifically if Dobson is not back in the lineup, but I, I don't expect Dobson to be a healthy scratch every single game for the rest of the year. They're going to spot him in, and you look at the back-to-back this weekend, uh, 
you know, a home game against the Coyotes up against the Senators, maybe that's a chance to get Dobson back into the lineup there. But if he's not playing consistently, there is consistently there is value for a, a kid that age, 19, to play in that high pressure, you know, situation. Just like him playing in two Memorial Cups, World Junior Championships, kind of the same thing. It would be good for his development, but I, I sort of feel like the Islanders are not going to want him out of their control. Um, so right now, I would say no. Um, John says, how do you see the forward shaking out? Assume 53-7-16 all come back healthy. Uh, unless Wallstrom starts scoring, I think they'll send him back at least temporarily. I think I just uh, uh, went over that with Brandon Gaines. And I know some of you guys have asked me to kind of group these questions together better. But really, I am just scrolling through my Twitter feed, getting to him as I see him. Um, so please kind of like just, uh, review what I, I answered earlier. Um, I, I, I'm not sure Wallstrom goes back. Uh, let's see. NV asks, was Bardreau's recall considered an emergency recall between him and Wallstrom? How many recalls are left and what are the rules? Regular versus emergency number of days, total allowed, etc. Thanks. Um, you know what? That's all CBA stuff, and I'm not trying to uh, make you do extra work at the expense of me doing extra work, but in the effort to wrap this podcast up under two hours, I'm just going to refer you. You can look at the CBA, or you can just do Google searches online um, on that subject and read up on it. Basically, no, Bardreau, as far as I was... Uh, I understand, and I asked the Islanders for clarification, did not get a clarification. I believe it's just a regular recall. Um, I do know the Islanders have three emergency recalls available before the rules kind of switch on them, and it becomes a little more difficult. So I believe this is just regular recall. And BFET says, how long does Broussard get to figure the system out? 20 games, 40 games? And are there any face-off specialists out there and available that are good enough to help this team? I, I think any center help uh, in the immediate would come from Bridgeport. Um, you know, I, I, I do think Otto Koivula is going to help out. I know he's out with an injury now, right now. Um, but... At some point, I expect to see him up and they give him a chance to see how he can fit in. Um, how long does Broussard get to figure out the system out? Look, they, they signed him for a year here. Um, I don't think they're giving up on Derek Broussard quickly, if that's what you're asking. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I know he's gotten off probably to a slower start than he would have wanted. But, you know, he is, he's the third line center um, and he's going to be the third line center you know, for the foreseeable future, you know, talking about probably, you know, I'm giving him into December before there's really any, you know, move to get him out of the lineup if he's really not performing up to what he should be. Um, Sammy Smith says, can you see Wallstrom on the first line within the next three games? Probably not. Um, if anything, Trotz, and I've asked Barry Trotz about that. He says there's no agenda and he seems really, uh, I don't want to say set because coaches aren't really set on anything. But for now, I, I think there are maybe some defensive concerns and, uh, and him not 
you know, exposing him maybe on that top line against some top other talent. So within the next three games, no. Eventually, I do expect him and Barzell to get a, a shot together. It does not happen right now. Um, <laughs> Wesley Gross says, didn't it stink growing up with that last name? I learned into my middle, I learned... My middle name is just a joke and got over it. Serious question, though. What's the deal with Dobson? When can we expect to see him again? Uh, you know, <laughs> my parents just told me gross uh, from the German uh, derivation just meant large, um, which has its own jokes in itself. Um, but no, uh, you know what? Uh, it became white noise after a while because every kid in the world just calls you gross. And you know what? It... it you know what? I'm. Uh, you got to have a thick skin anyway to be a sports writer. So maybe it was good training. But uh, what's the deal with Dobson? Just mention Dobson. When can we expect to see him again? I would say either Thursday or Friday. Uh, Linus Soderstrom. Uh, this is from SAB. Linus Soderstrom is in a Sound Tigers three goalie system, but hasn't had a start. Is he still rehabbing? Also, I may watch uh, Jack Jacob Skarrick. Uh, and Railers nearby in Brampton this weekend. Any other players I should scout at the game? Um, I, I don't believe Linus Soderstrom is rehabbing. I mean, uh, uh, from all indications, development camp and through preseason, uh, he was ready to go. I mean, it just may be that Corot and uh, Gibson are the guys that Brent Thompson's going with right now. Um, eventually, they're going to have to play Soderstrom. And then again... Uh, you know, I'm not around Bridgeport on a day-by-day -day basis, and I, I'm sorry, I'm certainly not as up maybe on the railers uh, as I roster as I should be, but enjoy the game there. Uh, Thomas Boyle asks, any time frame for Eberly after Casey Sezekis per Barry Trotz? So uh, expect to see Sezekis back first, but no timetable for either. Doubtful for Thursday, probably Friday. Uh, Troy Garrity says Wallstrom's offensive skills been obvious, fun to watch so far, but he was partially at fault for both goals against Saturday night. Is his lack of defensive skill going to get him sent back to Bridgeport? Sort of have answered this already. Um, that's one thing coaches look for is trust in a player. And I don't think you're 100% off base with this when you... You know, he may need some more seasoning that way, but I, I just love his wrist shot and the potential there. Uh, Anthony Pisano says, read Josh Hosang. Lou said he would try and trade him, but ultimately he might have to come back to Bridgeport. That was over two weeks ago and two IRs ago. Status? God, I know you Islander fans hate this answer, but status quo. <laughs> Nothing has changed. Um... Obvious there's not a trade market out there for them, and it's obvious that, you know, maybe they're, maybe they're going to work it out so Hosang can go to Europe. But as of right now, just status quo and keep checking back. Robert Williams says, we need a true scorer. Do you agree? If so, is it trade time? This early in the season, it's kind of tough to trade. I mean... The, the best early season trade I saw was when I was with the Devils and uh, Henrique got traded to the Ducks for Sammy Vatnin, a deal that I think has worked out for both teams. But uh, it's a little unusual that earlier in the season to see the, a, a trade of that magnitude. I, I agree that, you know, quote unquote, true scorer, I, I would, that's why I'm, 
I, I think Oliver Wallstrom ultimately could be a true scorer. I would like to see him get his chance. Cordup says Wallstrom hasn't scored yet, uh, but he has some really good chances. Think once the first one comes, the goals start coming. And yes, Cordup, absolutely. That's been talked about, you know, with guys on the team, guys around the team at the practice rink. It just feel like when that puck is not going off the crossbar or just going wide, once he gets that first one, yeah, I, I expect to see a few coming in bunches. Uh, Sid Falco is asking a Josh Hosang question. Will he ever play again for the Islanders? I would say extremely doubtful. Let's see. Kevin Scott says, was Mitch Korn involved in decision to go with Varlamov over Leonard? And how much did getting Sorokin's buddy influence lose final decision? Yes, Mitch Korn was heavily involved in that decision. Um, it's my belief, uh, my understanding. Um, and yes, uh, Ilya Sorokin plays a huge part of that equation um, in, in where they were going. There were other factors that um, obviously uh, I've, I've been over in the first few episodes, but yeah, Sorokin plays into it. Mitch Korn has say in pretty much anything that goes on in goaltending decisions in this organization. And to an extent, also, so does Piero Greco. Um, I do not want to forget Piero. He is a huge part of the equation as well. And finally, the Island Sheik <laughs> asks me, who would win in an arm wrestling match? My buddy Brian Compton of NHL.com or my buddy Arthur Staple of The Athletic and formerly of Newsday? You know, <laughs> I don't want to insult either Brian or Arthur. Um... I I, I sort of feel like that arm wrestling match would just never happen. Uh, I, I, I don't think that would be a thing, uh, you know. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry not to give you an answer on that, Island Chic, but, you know, th there you go. And uh, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to Episode 4 of Island Ice. Again, available on Newsday.com Sports. Uh, available via SoundCloud. You can subscribe via Apple. Uh, you can get us on Spotify. Subscribe there. You can get us on Google Play. And uh, thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. I'm Andrew Gross of Newsday, A Gross Newsday on Twitter. And have a great day, everyone.